It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 708, 31 degrees at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia gardener, here to help you be more successful at either doing or not doing whatever you want to do in your landscape. I can tell you the lazy man's way of doing landscaping, which is mostly what I follow, or I can tell you the absolute type A, got to have it just perfect way of landscaping as well. Either way you choose, you tell me. 404-872-0750 gets you in to get your call and get your question answered. First in line, Z is in Dallas, and Z joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Z, good morning. Hey, Walter, how you doing this I'm morning? All right, what's up? I'm calling because I have Bermuda grass yep. in between my house and the neighbor's house and in the back in certain spots. Yep. It's not growing good, and I'm getting a lot of moss growing in the grass. How much sunshine does it get? Plenty. Like every day, almost full sun, almost all day yeah. long? Then we have to look at what's going on in the, at the soil level, because if it's got enough sunshine, it should be thick enough to choke out the moss and be the dominant species, the dominant thing, plant, growing there. So my guess is there's either been some erosion between the houses or it's a lot of clay that was deposited when the houses were built. There's something making too much moisture in the soil, which drives out Bermuda grass. It does not like being in soggy soil and makes the moss very happy. Moss loves being in soggy clay soil. So what can you do to fix that? I think you might have it with the erosion because they had made like a trench for the water to run off between the houses right. toward the back. And stuff just runs. I mean, if it rains, it just goes right there. You know, if that is the case, the, it's going to be probably cheaper and easier rather than always trying to get grass to grow there to consider you could consider doing this yourself it's called installing a dry creek bed and it's basically i'm not going to go through all the details but basically you dig a trench that's sort of wide and shallow and um, put some landscape fabric in the bottom and then cover that with a layer of rocks about the size of your fist and up to the size of your head and this creek bed it's natural. It looks nice. I have one in my backyard to redirect water away from the house. And when it does rain heavily, the water flows through it, but it doesn't erode anything because it's got rocks in it. And you have it, of course, it has to exit someplace where it doesn't make a, make a mess in the front of the house or the front lawn or anything. But that's one consideration. You could think about installing a dry creek bed. Another one is to install underground drainage. And I'll let you, again, figure out the details. But that four-inch black plastic pipe that you see sometimes at hardware stores, you can uh -huh. install that with a drain opening up towards the top of the place where water comes in and put that in and direct the water underground and into some place that it doesn't make much of a mess either. But it sounds to me like you got to fix the water problem before you ever are going to have success with getting grass to grow. Well, that's probably it. So I have to work on that, and yeah. I appreciate it. Work on that. Work on making conditions back there really, really happy for Bermuda because they like opposite things. Bermuda hates shade. Bermuda hates hard ground. Bermuda hates moisture. And as soon as you can eliminate shade, hard ground, and moisture from the environment, Bermuda comes back gangbusters. Well, thank you, sir. All right. My pleasure, Z. Thanks for calling. Okay. It is 11 minutes past 7 in the morning. It's turn for time for Joe. Joe in Athens, the classic city, Clark County, Georgia. Joe, good morning. 
Well, did I get Joe? There's Joe. One, two, three. Nope, wrong person. Let's try this one. There's Joe. Hey, Joe, good morning. I, I have a centipede lawn. When do I fertilize it? Not now. Not now. When I get calls about centipede lawns in, typically it's July, I guess, Joe, Almost always, I think, man, I need to talk to you about fertilizing and mowing. Those are the two things that cause more trouble on managing centipede lawn than anything else. If you mow centipede too low, if you get it down to an inch or an inch and a half, that is way too low for centipede to be to be mowed at, and it gets sunburned, it gets all sorts of problems with just getting hot during the summertime, and it gets frozen during the wintertime, too. So mowing centipede too low is one bad thing, but fertilizing or over-fertilizing it is the other thing. Fertilizing when it's not green. You know, a lot of people think, well, my guy, my neighbor's got that fescue, it's, here it is, it's March, April, I'll fertilize my centipede, too, and make it come out and be greener before everybody else's. Really and truly, you shouldn't fertilize centipede until it is 100% greened up, and that's going to be May, May 15, somewhere in there. Don't, May 15. Don't fertilize it like your fescue friends do. Weed and feed? Ay, yeah, 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 yeah. Usually it's not needed unless you really have a problem with weeds. I think it's easier, less stress on the grass to just go with a straight lawn fertilizer and not worry about the weeds unless you just really have some that you think I can control these with the weed and feed. Even sure. then, I might say use the, weed, use the weed control product separate from the fertilizer product. Make sure it's labeled for use on centipede lawns because centipede grass is sensitive to some of the weed control chemicals. I see. Well, you've helped me a lot, and I do appreciate it. Well, I got you out of a job this afternoon. You do not have to fertilize your centipede lawn this afternoon. <laughs> so for you, Joe, my gift today, uh, free of charge. Again. All right, man. We'll see you soon. Bye. 13 minutes past the hour, 7 o'clock in the morning. Now it's time for Jane. Jane's out in Smyrna and joins us in Lawn and Garden. Hey, Jane, good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. How can I help? Uh, well, uh, this is the first year after many years that – my dogwood tree was just full of beautiful white blossoms and beautiful red berries. Great. Then the squirrels had a feast on the berries. I couldn't, cut them, couldn't keep them out of the tree. And from what I read, it's, it's kind of like, well, don't worry about it. You know, yeah. there's like a seed in there, and that's what they're eating. Sure. But there are, there are just very few um, blossom buds that I see on there now. Mm. Is that a cyclical thing, or did the squirrels... Eating it have something to do with the fact that there's not much little buds on there this year. I do like blaming a lot of things on squirrels, but this time I don't think the squirrel had anything to do with it. Okay. I think even the, and you're right, you summarize it pretty well. The red things that come after the buds are the seeds, and squirrels eat the seeds, and that's no big deal because you usually don't grow dogwoods for the seeds. You grow them for the flowers in April. You like those white flowers. Um, so the squirrels eating the seeds really doesn't affect the buds, I don't think, much at all. So go back to... Uh, fertilizer, water, you know, stress during the summertime, various things that would cause it not to flower and not to have many buds right now. That's the direction I, I'm, I would head my investigation, not oh, the squirrels. Okay, okay. Is, there's no way to keep them out, is there? No. The squirrels. I will tell you something, Jane. I was flabbergasted. It's been now a week or eight, nine days, I guess, when I went up to my, what I call my outdoor shed. I have an open shed with a roof on top. I put my lawnmower and my power wash and a couple of other things in there. And I have a plastic red can to keep my gasoline in that I use for the lawnmower and the power washer. 
And the squirrel, some squirrel, I don't know what squirrel, came up there and not only ate the yellow plug cap on top of the plastic <laughs> spout, ate the blessed black plastic spout that came out of my gasoline can. What is going on? Why does the squirrel want that to chew on? Stupid. Find out? Stupid squirrel. <laughs> bad, 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 bad squirrel. <laughs> and then he eats Jane's berries, too. Yeah, they're <laughs> a curse. <laughs> well, okay, nothing I can do. Nothing I can do either. So okay, we just endure. Well, thank you so much. Endure what they do, those stupid squirrels. Ate the entire black spout out of a gasoline can. How can that be? Squirrels are just the worst. Squirrels are the devil. We don't like them at all, except when they're cute and they jump around in the trees, and they're pretty nice. But we don't like them eating our gasoline cans, licking on the mortar in our porches, just all the things that people have reported to me that they have attacked that we didn't think they would do. All right. Done with that. Let's go to Mary in Ranger, Georgia. Mary, you're on News Talk WSB. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How can I help? Uh, we have a pear tree, a Keyford pear, yep. and for the last uh, year or so, they've been getting like hard spots in them, mm. and some of them will be uh, kind of deformed. Yep. Uh, what is there something that we can spray with when it starts to bloom in and all that will prevent this? My bet is it stink bugs. Because stink bugs have the little dirty nose that's sticking through the skin of a pear tree, and the cells underneath that point are either going to get rotten because the dirty little nose had fungi on it, or the pear is going to repair that damage by making a hard, gritty little core right there, uh-huh. which is what you just described for me. Okay. So I'm thinking stink bugs is what causes it. Okay, so what do we need to, uh, when do we need to spray for it then, and what do we need to spray with? Go to a garden center and get what's called home orchard spray. Home orchard spray. Home orchard spray. spray. From uh-huh. its name, you know, it's labeled and safe to use on, on fruit trees. Uh-huh. There may be an organic one. Of course, if you want to use an organic uh, pesticide, that's fine with me. Works great. Uh, there's one called Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew that's an organic insecticide. Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew. And you spray that on the tree back starting after they bloom, but not too far after they bloom. So if the pears are blooming, they'll be blooming in about three weeks from now. Uh Then four weeks from now is when I would start spraying about once every seven to ten days and try to hit the stink bugs before they get to be mature and adults because it's hard to kill a stink bug when they're uh, grown up and adult. When they're young and immature little things and they're just about a quarter of an inch long, that's when the insecticide will be the most effective on killing them, when they're little bitty things and before they get it to be grandma and grandpa. So, again, Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew is one insecticide. It's organic with their home orchard spray that has some synthetic insecticide in it. That works fine as well. Follow the label, do exactly what it says, and maybe you won't have those little hard places in the pears this year. It's 718. You're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And time for a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. If you heard some rumors that today was going to be pretty nice... They're true. It's going to be nice today. Warm this afternoon. Highs in the in the low 60s, somewhere right there. Clear, star-filled skies tonight. Lows in the mid to low 30s. 
Stay tuned. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Coming on the phone right this very minute, we've got uh, Cindy in Athens who has a question about moving some plants around. Hey, Cindy, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you? I'm well. How can I help, Cindy? Uh, we're planning on um, moving this summer, mm-hmm. and I have a couple of dwar- a miniature dwarf Japanese maples and also a Confederate series azalea. I want to move them with me. Could you oh, tell yeah. me how to do that, please? How big are the maples? How tall? The maples. Are one is about six feet, and the other one is about less than two feet. That six-foot one's going to be hard to move, Cindy. Okay. I hate to break your heart, but it's going to be, I think it should stay in the ground. Honestly, right. I think you should give your new whoever buys the house and say, look, we have this beautiful Japanese maple. Give me a thousand more dollars for my house <laughs> or something like that. that. Uh, because moving the six-foot-tall maple is going to be hard, problematic, and I'd rather okay. you not kill that poor little maple. Now, the other one, you said, what's three, three feet tall? Oh, no, it's it's not even, it's probably two feet tall. Oh, that's fine then. Um, I've told people to do this uh, before. Get uh, If you're a Baptist, you get sunglasses and a raincoat and a hat to put on your head and go to the liquor store so nobody recognizes you oh. in the liquor store and, um, and, uh, and dig the plant up and put it into a cardboard box, one of the big cardboard boxes that have yes. handles on the side. They sell wine in. Those are great. Um, okay. But try to get as much of the root as you possibly can. So how far away are you moving? When you move, oh, in, into Athens, not far. So you could conceivably just dig it out of the ground, wrap the roots up in plastic oh. without needing a box at all, and just keep it sort of moist between driving from the old house to the new house. And that might be the best thing to do of all. Try to get as many roots as you can. Don't worry oh, about soil. Okay. Just get lots of roots on that three foot tall one and, and move it to the new house as quickly as you can. Oh, that does sound much simpler. Yeah. And you don't have to go to the liquor store, so you're better off anyway. Oh, definitely. Is it possible to move my azalea? It's, it's very yeah, I think so. Same same sort of deal. Try to keep the roots as moist as you can. Lots okay. of roots come with it. Do it on a soggy after you've watered the ground and made it real soggy. Sometimes you just pull them right up out of the ground with a couple of, couple of clips with your pruners. And uh, if you've got a lot of roots and you have a nicely prepared bed for them back at the new house, they're not even going to know you moved them. They'll be fine. So prepare the bed, get ready for it, go back to the first house, dig them up, a lot of roots, move them to the new house, water them in real good. Everything should be fine. You'll be great, Cindy. Thanks for calling. It's 728 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden right after news. Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.35 at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you do whatever. Well, if you want to figure something out, if you have one of those hard, weird questions about your garden that you just don't quite know the answer, give me a call. We'll talk about it together and see if we can find something that sounds reasonable at 404 
872 That is not the number for the contest line, but I'll announce the contest line in just a minute because Ashley Frasca has reminded me that she wants to do the weekend prize pack right now. She's thinking of a number between 2 and 7 to determine who wins a four-pack of tic- VIP tickets to the 37th Annual Spring Atlanta Home Show. March 20th through 22nd at the Cobb Energy Center, plus a family four-pack of tickets to see the Gwinnett Gladiators versus the Orlando Solar Bears on March 27th at the Arena at Gwinnett Center, plus a pair of tickets to see Jane Lynch. <laughs> She'd be funny. On March 28th at the Atlanta Symphony Hall, presented by ASO Presents. Lots of tickets, lots of fun social events to go to. Who wins, Ashley? Caller number three. Caller number three to our contest line, 404-741-0750. Third caller, 404-741-0750. Peter out in Marietta, join us on the Lawn and Garden Show. Peter, hey, good morning. Good morning, Walter. i got a question for you. Sure. I've got a centipede lawn, but right now my yard is green with wild onion or wild garlic. Got it. And... What can I do now while the grass is dormant and the stuff is growing crazy to get rid of it? Go read the label. Here's your homework. Go read the label on the product that's called Image for Nutgrass. Okay. Even though it says Image for Nutgrass, if I am not terribly mistaken, the label in the back says also controls annual some annual weeds, including wild onion, wild garlic, and can be used on centipede lawns. Make sure it can be used on centipede without hurting it. And now would be a pretty good time if the label, you know, if the label agrees with me, to do the application because you don't want the centipede to be in the greening up phase, and it's not greening up right now. So okay. the onions, the garlic is out there growing. Do you know how to tell the difference between the two wild onions and wild garlic, Peter? Isn't it something like the leaves are either if they're round, they're onion; if they're flat, they're garlic. What a man! Like that. That's a, that, all right. If they're round, nope. If they're round, they're garlic. If they're flat, they're onion. If I'm not mistaken. Go the way around. Nonetheless, you're smart to know there's a difference between the two. I'm, I'm I just know amazed. that when I mow, if, if I mow my yard right now, the entire neighborhood's going to be crying. <laughs> there's, there's a ton of it. Go read the label on the image for nutgrass and see if I'm right. I think I am, but make sure you follow the label directions on that. And it'll take, I think, for the control for image, it usually takes at least three weeks before you see much damage at all because it has to be watered in and absorbed by the roots, and then it starts yellowing up the foliage on the on the garlic or onion. So don't expect anything immediate. Expect it. If it, some, has, if it has to be watered in, then should I wait till I hear that Walter... Uh, um, Kirk Mellish say it's going to rain the next day or two. That's and exactly right. Time. Wait for Dr. Mellish to give his uh, rain-filled forecast, and or else you can water it in yourself if you've got an irrigation system or want to turn the sprinkler on. It doesn't take a lot of water, but it needs to be about a quarter inch of rainfall or irrigation to water the chemical in. Cool. My neighbors will appreciate that. <laughs> no more onions, no more garlic in the neighborhood. Thank you so much, Walter. You bet, Peter. Thanks for calling. I've been asked before if wild onions and wild garlic are edible, and certainly as long as you're not spraying them with herbicide, yeah, they are edible. They'll, they're strong. They're not going to get you any kisses after you, after you eat wild onion and wild garlic from the lawn, but they are edible. They're not poisonous or anything like that. You could conceivably use them in a salad if you want to. I'm not one to, not at all. Paul is in Atlanta, and Paul joins us on the Lawn and Garden. Hey, Paul, good morning. Hey, how you doing? Thanks I, for taking my call. Sure. How can I help, Paul? All right, so last, late last summer, I resodded my yard. 
and I got bit by the army worms. And as it started to recover, well, even when it was initially green, there was this big brown spot in the front yard, almost like the big spot on Jupiter. Uh-huh. And it never went away. And I'm just wondering if there's anything I can do before. Now, to give you some background, two years ago, I had my whole yard dug up because my pipe, original pipes were sewer pipes. Got it. And they said it was leaking everywhere. And then I had a big tree in the middle remote, too. Got it. Okay. I was thinking, I was thinking of you know, calling the county agricultural extension to see mm-hmm. what they could do, but figured I'd try with you. Yeah, when you see a spot like that, as I'm envisioning it in my head for a lawn, one of the first things I think of is soil or water retention or something of that nature because grasses as a class of plants do not like to be in soggy places. Mickey Gasway from Pike Nursery will often remind me that when you have a Bermuda lawn it has a big dead spot in the middle. She said, does water accumulate there after a rain? Because if it does, that's why the Bermuda is going away. So that's the yeah, first place I would look. Just get a, a trial. An incline. Yeah. And there, you know, so there is some water, but and also, I've noticed during, not anymore, but initially when there was heavy water, there would almost be like, I'm sorry for the background noise. Yeah. Um, there would be almost like some oil slick in it. Huh. So I don't know. If, maybe when they dug up the tree and, the, you know, the, the root, they just stirred, like, because all the cold stuff that was. Yeah, could be. But that was, the tree, the tree went away how long ago? Uh, last, last spring, summer. I think you may be on the right right track to figuring it out because if the stump grinder came in there and you did have a stump grinder, is that right? Correct. Yeah, and so the stump grinder comes in, and a lot of times they get down 10, 15 inches down into the ground oh, they did. to yeah. really dig into the trunk and make sure it's all gone. That being the case, it's possible that they just brought up a whole lot of clay and hard soil and got it spread out again, and now the grass says, I don't like this, it's not my environment, and the grass gives you that dead spot every year. Should I replace that section? Or? I would certainly go look at the soil. I mean, just go out, hands and knees sort of inspection, look at the grass, get a trowel maybe, and dig a little bit of dirt up and see how much clay well, is in it. And I had um, a lawn service come in and a new lawn service start, and yeah. part of their agreement was they did soil samples. Okay, but that's um, the soil sample will test for nutrients in the soil, but it won't test for consistency or components of the soil. So they're okay. not going to tell you, oh, this is too much clay. They're just going to say, well, it needs nitrogen or it needs this much potassium oh, right. or this much lime or something like that. So what should I look for when I'm looking at clay? The I would just go out with a trowel and dig two or three places about two, three maybe inches deep and see what the trowel brings up. And if it's mostly clay, there's your problem. You can put new topsoil in place, you can scrape up the Bermuda that's there, flip it over to the side, put new, good, fresh, loose topsoil in it, and then cover the Bermuda back up, or put the Bermuda back in place. But something's going on with the soil. That's what I think's most likely to happen. And that's just hand and knees detective work, I guess, Paul. You just get with the trowel, go in there, dig it up, see what you got, and then correct whatever condition makes the Bermuda unhappy. Thanks for calling, Paul. I got other people in line here at 742. We've got to do Gil. I'm Houston, Georgia, and Gil joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Gil, good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. Thank okay. you so much for taking my call. And I have a quick question on Bermuda, and okay. um, I'm a naive, and I was wondering if you can edify me on reading fertilizing and seeding Bermuda because we have pockets and just like you were explaining mm-hmm. Paul um, we do have a lot of soil and it's really acidic so last year 
when I started gardening, got yeah. the soil report and uh, applied dolomite, fertilizer, and the soil report said apply 10, 10, 10, uh-huh. like 10 per thousand seed. And uh, I don't know, like the chronological order. And uh, it's really cold. Sweet, um, I applied, you know, just the day before the snowfall. Sure. Inside. sure. But I don't know if it's going to be good. And I was wondering if you can uh, let me know for the seeding time. All right. So this is a great time for me to give a nice promotional push to the calendars that I have on my website for lawn maintenance. Type the word, when you go to WalterReeves.com, in the search line, type calendars, plural. If you type calendar, it takes you someplace else you don't want to be. But if you go calendars, one of the first responses you'll get on my website is lawn care calendars that Walter's written for all the grasses, Bermuda and centipede and soysia and all of them. And each one tells you the chronological order in which you feed, put down lime, aerate, plant seed. Um, for Bermuda grass, usually you, you feed it one, two, three, or maybe sometimes four if you really like mowing your lawn. You feed it four times, but you don't do it now. First time to feed Bermuda grass is when it's 80 or 90 maybe percent green, which is in mid to late April. So that's the first thing you worry about doing is feeding in mid to late April and then start using the calendar and everything I say on the calendar after that. Got it. So, again, I don't want to go through everything and all the details because it's so much easier when it's printed out. So, Great. again, go to WalterReeves.com, type calendars, plural, into the search line. And I think, Gil, that will give you everything you need to know, at least from my perspective, to care for a Bermuda lawn. And other listeners out there, if you want to go to my website and do the same thing, tack it up to the wall in your garage like Ashley does so you always refer to it and know which month to do what. Because that's important. Grass likes to be cared for in a particular sequence of things, and the calendar tells you exactly what that sequence is. We've got uh, Gary on the line. Gary's out in Snellville, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Gary, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I planted a uh, – well, actually, first thing I did was I sprayed Roundup on my front lawn because it was full of weeds. Uh-huh. Killed it and waited a couple of few weeks, but wound up planting uh, an aerating late, late October. Got it. And the only thing that's come up is maybe a, an inch, uh, you know, of grass. So I was wondering, should I re-aerate and start again in the spring or keep fertilizing it and nurture it through the summer and aerate again in the, in the fall? When did you last fertilize the fescue? Uh, it's a big problem. It's sitting in my basement and I haven't done it. <laughs> <laughs> An honest confession, good for the soul, Gary. That's exactly what you just did. You somebody messed up and didn't feed the fescue. I'm not yep. pointing any fingers, but I think I'm talking to him right now. I, I'll raise my hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you need that calendar thing too, right? You need to go get right. it out and put a reminder in your phone that rings every time you're supposed to feed or fertilize or whatever. Um, that's the first thing. That's the first thing you got to do. We got to feed the fescue immediately today. If it's in the basement, out of the basement, it's a warm afternoon. Fertilize the fescue. It needs to be done. And I. Th- I think I told a caller earlier that when comes April, when the fourth fertilization is supposed to roll around, do it at about half to three-quarter strength because you're a little late on the February feeding that I usually recommend. So feed the fescue, and if you seem to have coverage, it's just not very tall. You said they're, what, an inch or two? The sprouts are an inch or two high? It's about an inch. 
I think a lot of that could be blamed for lack of fertilizer. <laughs> Nobody fed it, so the fescue is just sort of sitting around grabbing what it can from the soil. Okay. If you've got if you've got reasonably solid coverage, I don't think I would try reseeding. If you just feel like, man, there's just a lot of holes, there's not any grass coming up, then okay, do an aeration uh, mid-March, a couple of weeks from now, maybe a week from now if it turns out warm, then you can plant the seed then. Run over the lawn one, maybe two times with an aerator, spread the seed appropriately about five pounds per thousand square feet is about right and um covered over water if the rain doesn't come make sure it stays moist for the next two or three weeks and as things warm up between the middle middle part of march and the end of april you'll see a real nice growth of green in the holes that didn't have any fertilizer to begin with but really and truly first thing to do feed it today go to a nursery get some lawn fertilizer put it out follow the label directions water it in if you want to really get things started going and that's what you need that's what i think you need gary thanks for calling it's 748 and you're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade from Atlanta's Morning News on WSB. Our 24-hour news center delivers updates four times an hour all weekend. Depend on it. We'll be here Monday morning, 4.30 till 9, for breaking news and traffic and weather every six minutes. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. If you are tired of being cold when you go outside... Mother Nature gives us a break. It's going to be warm this afternoon. Highs in the low 60s, sunny skies all day. It's going to be nice. Chilly, okay tonight. Chilly, clear skies, lows in the mid to low 30s. But it's going to be a generally pretty nice day outside after all. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Donnie is up in Buford, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Donnie, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Uh, fabulous. How can I help, Don? Uh, well, I was looking for non-GMO fruit trees, and uh, what type of fruit trees do well in Georgia? There are no GMO fruit trees yet, and that's an emphasis on my part of yet, because the I think the paper had it about two weeks ago. They have approved for growing in the United States a GMO apple that's been made such that it doesn't brown. The, the flesh of the apple doesn't brown uh, as much as other apples do, but as far as other Apple trees, fruit trees, pear trees, peach trees, and things like that. None of those are GMO organisms, at least not yet. Okay, so a peach tree that I buy at the store, I can take a peach from it and plant it in the ground and grow another peach tree? Mm, theoretically, but Donnie, try it one time and let me know how that works. Because <laughs> generally speaking, a lot of people try doing that and they get some sorry little peach trees that grow about four or five years and put two or three hard peaches out and then they think, why did I do this in the first place? You're taking a valuable lawn space here with this peach tree. If you're going to grow fruit in, in Georgia, Donnie, peaches are not the one I'd start out with. I'd start with apples, pears, figs. Figs are awesome. Rarely have any problems other than birds eating the figs. Um, blueberries are wonderful. Blueberries can just give you a pints and pints and pints if they're planted right to begin with. Um, what else? Blueberries, figs, uh, raspberries, and blackberries generally do pretty well here. But I wouldn't go with a peach first. Apple and pear maybe uh, read on my website about how to care for them. Some of them have very specific needs about when they need to be sprayed to keep diseases off of them. Okay. All right. You happy? Right. Everybody's uh, happy? Absolutely. Mom was happy it. too? All right. If mom was happy, everybody's happy, Donnie. Hey, that's right. Yeah, baby. Thanks for calling. All right, thank you. And again, remember what I said, GMO, that specific kind of insertion of a gene into the genetic makeup of a plant, there are no GMO 
apples or fruits or anything like that yet. But as you, as you heard, the apple folks are pretty excited about having an apple that is not um, brown, the flesh doesn't turn brown, and that's been approved by the federal government. It'll be out in nurseries within the next five, six, seven years. Whether that is something that homeowners will want or whether the commercial people will use those apples more likely is yet to be told. But there is at least one GMO fruit tree, and that's that apple whose name, frankly, I can't remember right now. But I did note that, that somebody's going to ask me about GMO fruit someday, and now they have. Coming up in the next half hour, Shane wants to know a little bit more about whether the pine mulch that he put down ruined his planting area. And Ann and Marietta has a question about cherry laurels and how you can prune those babies when they're 10 feet tall. All that coming up right after news. I eat peaches every day. Sun-soaking bulges in the shade. Moving to the country, I'm going to eat a lot of peaches.